it's you know some of this stuff is seriously frightening um the um often not in the way that the environmentalists talk about it but you know like the our rate of uh release of, of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere is about you know a thousand times faster than uh the release of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere in you know five of the previous sorry four of the five previous um, mass extinction events there is a correlation between rapid um, release of, um, of of carbon dioxide from deep in the earth uh, into the atmosphere with with mass extinction events and that's that that's genuinely scary yeah and we're doing it much faster now um, so so I get it like I really 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 do. And uh, some of the issues around the, in, you know, insect die-off, I'm like, that is, that's really scary. Not because, again, as the environmentalists talk about it, because, oh, pesticides, uh, we don't actually have much evidence that it is pesticides. Mm. But maybe because we don't know. Like, that's yeah. fucking scary. That, like, Jesus, there's something that we're doing, and we don't know what it is, and we're killing off tons of insects. And insects have survived most like so much that the earth has thrown at them in the past like that's i mean like these are real issues and we really do need to struggle very seriously to grapple uh, to grapple with them and figure out how to solve them um so i i do get it i really really do get it yeah i mean it would at least solve the kind of fruit fly problem that i have in my kitchen but you know that's another story <laughs> you know what works well fruit flies Vin red um, wine vinegar right is that what no, you're gonna say that. No. okay Too natural fine. Bullshit. No, um, a, a hand vacuum. Hi, hello, welcome everybody to Alpha Bunga Bunga, and welcome back to Lee Phillips, who we're delighted to have back on. Uh, always happy to have Lee on. Hey, Lee, how's it going? Good, good. It's it's always great on my end to be with you guys. You guys are great. So <laughs> it's always lovely to hear. Um, we're going to get into this discussion uh, pretty shortly. I'm just going to do a little lead in here to explain what we're talking about. Uh, so. We had an episode planned to do with Lee at the end of last year about the deep ecological strains found within the manifesto of the Christchurch shooter that killed 51 people last year, as well as the Texas Walmart shooter in El Paso, Texas, uh, who killed 22 people in August 2019. So the idea we had was to talk about eco-fascism, um, in part because Lee had sent us a draft of an article he'd written on the subject prompted by... Uh, those two shootings and their manifestos and the kind of ecological strains found within them. But since then, uh, a new government has come into office in Austria, which is a sort of a rare union between the right-wing Austrian People's Party and the Greens there. Uh, the People's Party leader, Sebastian Kurz, declared, it is possible to protect the border and the climate at the very same time. So I, these two things, which I've mentioned, are hardly the same, and I don't want to claim that the Austrian government is eco-fascist, uh, not least because the Austrian People's Party is a more traditional kind of conservative right-wing party, um, even in contrast to the Freedom Party there. But there's another, but there's something else, which is also that, I mean, we don't want to just be calling Greens fascists um, crudely, as many kind of yeah. right-wing alt-right types do. Um, 
But we do, at the same time, want to explore uh, what are actually deep links between ecologism and fascism, which pass through... Uh, Malthusian ideas about population control or Darwinian ones about the survival of the fittest or naturalistic ones about the real habitats of peoples. Um, So that's what we're going to do today. Um, And this is, I guess we should put in the proviso because people always like to jump on this when they hear it. We're not saying that there aren't grave environmental concerns that need addressing and we'll probably come on to a little bit of that and how they should be addressed, maybe a little towards uh, the end as a sort of counterpoint to, I guess, what we're going to be critiquing, which is eco-fascism. Right. So, uh, Lee, let's get right into it. Um, Why don't you tell us a little bit about what is eco-fascism, particularly in its contemporary manifestations, and what appears in those manifestos of those white nationalist terrorists? Right. Actually, I I just, first of all, I I just love to... um, underscore your your throat clearing there about uh, climate change and environmental issues in general. I mean, uh, what I'm about to say in no way um, is is suggesting that environmentalists are fascists or that there's a tendency towards fascism there. Um, it's about a particular, um, I mean, I, I mean I've, I've been in, um, writing about climate change uh, uh, as a science writer for, you know, more than a decade. Uh, there's absolutely no way that I um, would be contesting uh, the reality of, of climate change or the, the very real threat that it poses or other aspects of the wider biocrisis and from nitrogen pollution to uh, biodiversity loss. So just, uh, yeah, some throat clearing on my part as well. Um, I guess the uh, what I would say to start is that um, if while it is very important to look at um, uh, the, the manifestos of uh, Patrick Crucius, uh, the shooter in El Paso, and Breton Tarrant, the shooter in Christchurch, um, and distinguish them from just the immediate narrative that came out in the days after that, from you know, from the mainstream media, from uh, from Dem- Democratic uh, Party uh, candidates at the time in the U.S. who basically uh, called it a you know a, a white supremacist. That Trump was responsible for this. That there's no. I think it was it was Cory Booker that uh, at the time, who's not a candidate anymore, but at the time uh, was saying, you know, very clearly, uh, Trump is res- his rhetoric is responsible uh, for for the shooting. Um, if we take, and to some extent, I think you know, uh, fair fair enough in terms of uh, describing these people as as white supremacists and 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 far right um, race and racists. Uh, that's certainly true. Uh, but if they're if we read their um, their manifestos and take them at their word, and in terms of what has influenced them, then we have to absolutely call these people. It's also another phenomenon. It's also ecofascism. So that's all important, um, and maybe we can talk about that in a little bit more detail. But also that there's a broader sort of uh, tendency. So when we look at uh, what's just happened in Austria with Sebastian Kurz and uh, and the Greens there. Um, you're abs- I, I agree with you, Alex, when you say that it would absolutely not be correct to call the uh, the Austrian uh, People's Party, the UVP, um, um, uh, far right. It's you know, con- historically it was a conventional Christian Democratic Party um, and Conservative Party. Although one should note that uh, under Sebastian Kurz, it has shifted to the I would say hard right in terms of its. Uh, anti-Muslim rhetoric mm. and anti-immigrant uh, rhetoric. Yeah. Uh, to some, I mean, commentators in Austria have basically said that 
um, uh, he's sort of swallowed up uh, a lot of the policies of the of the far right, the 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 the, the Freedom Party there. Um, uh, but nevertheless, it's you know it's still wrong to call even then um, it's still not fascist, uh, Sebastian right? Kurt, even so it's it's not fascism. Um, so, but what what's interesting to me is that there's this sort of this end of the political spectrum. So whether we're talking about these um, uh, explicitly self-described eco-fascist terrorists, or we're talking about the phenomenon of the pretty happy um, marriage of um, uh, the climate politics, uh, the sort of eco-austerian climate politics of the of the Austrian Greens, and the anti-immigrant and anti-Muslim politics of the um, of, of Kurds, um, there's there's a continuum there. Uh, that's, I guess, what I wanted to say, that um, um, we should be very concerned about um, the, the confluence of, in, of a certain strain of environmentalism with uh, anti-immigrant uh, politics that is, uh, runs the gamut from uh, these, these, these terrorists, these outright eco-fascists, through to um, conservatives. And, uh, you know, look at... Um, 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 Marie Le Pen in France, uh, who has taken up in recent years a very strong um, a sort of uh, eco far right perspective, where she says that borders are climate's best um, uh, best ally. Um, so there's there's a whole series of of of, of, of far right uh, and hard right yeah. um, admixtures with environmentalism. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I saw that you had cited in the, the draft of your piece, the, the Marie Le Pen kind of positioning towards localism, towards environmentalism yes. um, against yeah. borders. I actually, you know, in, in preparing for this, had a quick look at whether other like Eastern European, quote unquote, populists or national authoritarians had adopted any sort of green ideas, because I, I wondered, you know, if, you, if it's happening in Austria, and of course, the case of Austria's and its history is very different from Hungary, for example. I was curious whether, mm-hmm. you know, maybe Orban hadn't adopted it, but no, they, they still ha- maintain a very hard anti-immigration, excuse me, obviously anti-immigration line, but a very hard anti-environmental line, seeing it as, as a sort of liberal globalist plot most of the time, and which is understandable from, if you look at the history of, of, uh, of those sorts of movements, of you know, especially Orban and Fidesz in Hungary, mm-hmm. that um, environmentalism is often used as a stick with which to beat them from the, you know, uh, but on the part of the EU versus them, so you'd understand that, that political kind of traditions resistance it, to it. But it um, also, but it also, um, it also fits the point. I mean that um, Orban, whatever Orban represents, I don't think it's meaningfully called fascist. Whereas I think yeah. the um, the overlap between um, reaction fascism and ecological thought is. Um, is quite complementary and to be expected in many respects, not least because um, the hard right um, and uh, reactionary thinking, it's obviously it's basic affinity for ideas of um, that social order is a natural order, the attempt to naturalize society to, um, to suggest that um, change and um, con- you know, conscious human agency and uh, conscious human will is out of keeping with some um, natural order. I mean, the nat- citing nature is obviously a way to is a prime way to preserve a particular status quo. So, I mean, the the affinity that you were describing, Lee, um, is the way in which it's kind of all interfolded, interlaced, and so on is I think entirely to be expected. 
um, that the first line of defense for any status quo is to claim that it's a natural one. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I was just going to say in, in terms of Orban and Eastern Europe, I mean, that's really interesting. Uh, I mean, I would actually be I'm not surprised that uh, when you, you did your uh, readings in Eastern Eastern Europe, that that's what you found, Alex. Um, I don't speak any Eastern European languages, so uh, that sort of hits. That's where I hit the limit of what I can where oh, I can yeah, do I mean... my research. But it would actually it wouldn't it, it doesn't surprise me uh, it, or rather it would surprise me if you did find, find find something like that, because fundamentally ecofascism is a um, is a is is a product of a sort of um, disillusionment with modernity, an anti-modernist, an anti-industrial perspective, and um, uh, from from an Eastern Europe, like Eastern Europe is 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 underdeveloped compared to the, the Western Europe, and I, I think that there would be very little purchase uh, of this idea there. Where at that at the moment, I would think that most people in Eastern Europe actually desperately want to catch up with Western Europe and um, um, environmental concerns are much lower down the list of, 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 of primary issues um, for them uh, than uh, would be in, in, uh, in Western Europe. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I think, I mean, it would be interesting, I think, maybe a little bit on to discuss any, I mean, maybe any potential future overlaps between kind of the right and greens um, and maybe speculate a little bit. But before that, it'd be good to go deeper into what the kind of the white nationalist terrorists believe and what the kind of some of the sure. points in their thinking is. So if you could maybe define, first of all, uh, you know, what you see as eco-fascism, I guess, in, in this. Um. Um, I mean, I don't want to be pinned down because uh, in terms of uh, having a hard um, uh, a sort of definition, because I think you would you could very quickly come across some exceptions. But um, uh, perhaps it's, it's worth just sort of looking at uh, some of the things from their uh, from their manifestos. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably the best way about it. Let's look like empirically what these guys have said, what they've put down, what their list of complaints has been before they go on this mass shooting spree. Yeah. So yeah. So if you look at both of these these uh, these particular manifestos, they explicitly locate the source of environmental tra- like, um, environmental challenges um, uh, are uh, forefronted in their um, in their manifestos. It's not that. There's okay. There was a passing uh, reference, uh, as there was in you know Anders Breivik's manifesto to Madison Grant, an early American um, uh, environmentalist uh, who was uh, very uh, xenophobic and sort of um, uh, associated with and sort of um, uh, uh, social Darwinist uh, white supremacy in the early part of the 20th century. Uh, in these, t- in these, t- but that was only sort of a passing reference. In these two, it's very explicit and repeated. It's not as if it's a, some sort of thing added in. And I think that's one of the dangers that that uh, there have actually been a number of articles by some progressives in the last few months where they have actually gone and read the the manifestos and said, okay, you know, ecofascism is a problem. And, you know, good, uh, you know, uh, um, I, I would salute the fact that they've, 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 they've recognized this as, as, as an issue. But the, for them, a lot of these analysts sort of feel that um, this is something new and has just been added in to a pre-existing narrative, a far-right narrative. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Whereas actually it, it's really quite, it goes very, very deep to the origins of, of the environmental movement. Um, anyway, but just very quickly, um, so Crucius, um, you know, in his piece, he's... The El Paso, who's the El Paso shooter. The El Paso, yes. Um, uh, you know, he wishes that um, Americans would reduce their consumption. Uh, this is, you know, this is a line that we hear on, the regu- on a regular basis for a mainstream environmentalists. Uh, but he fears that Americans are too stubborn. Uh, that they're not going to give up their their flat screen TVs. And so he concludes, quote, uh, the next logical step is to decrease the number of people in America using uh, using resources. If we can get rid of enough people, then our way of life can become more sustainable. And uh, both of them, you know, explicitly locate the source of environmental challenges with overconsumption, with consumerism, with industrialization, with the growth of cities and uh, urban sprawl, uh, with overpopulation. So in other words, uh, neo-Malthusianism, uh, the belief that growth is, is unsustainable. And this is, this is not uh, something that is, um, uh, yeah, as I say, just some, some carbuncle that is added on. Yeah. This goes back very, very deep um, um, in the history of um, environmentalism. Um, we can go back to the 1980s and look at Earth First. That's a really radical um, a deep ecologist group that I should say, by the way, I was very briefly a member of, <laughs> um, uh, not in the eighties, um, um, but you know, um, in in their in their in their magazine, the Earth First Journal, um, they wrote that AIDS was Gaia's answer to overpopulation. So uh, you know, you mentioned that statement from Earth First about AIDS. I mean, was that kind of relatively eccentric, even within Earth First, or was that something which is fairly consistent with the line that they took during the eighties? Um, I mean, I think uh, Dave uh, Foreman, when he said that stuff, he was, um, you know, that was quite shocking at the time. And you had people like Murray Bookchin, uh, the social ecologist, push back very strongly against that. But um, within the organization, well, you know, it's, they claim they were never an organization. It was always a group of, uh, you were an Earth First or you weren't a member of Earth First. Um, uh, but... I think that you know, there was such uh, misanthropy within the organization and such a sort of like dark cynicism uh, that I think people would, were, were fine with that within there. Uh, now, to be fair, there were, um, there were people uh, who were very frustrated with that. Um, and I do want to say that, um, I do want to stress that there are a lot of environmentalists um, today who on the one hand will be um, supporting sort of Malthusian perspectives on degrowth de- uh, uh, one day, and then the you know the next day they'll be um, supporting um, as you know trying to you know stop deportation of immigrants, and so, and so there are people in the environmental movement who absolutely disagree with that. I don't want to suggest that this is this is the normal perspective in there, but if we can just talk a little bit more about some other examples, you'll see how it wasn't so uh, eccentric at all um his his language was uh maybe um provocative because you know that was you know earth first was was in the nature of being provocative uh but uh people like um uh lester brown who is the the venerable head of the world watch institute yeah you know he's giant of um of american environmentalism um, you know, he's welcomed into the European Parliament. He's, you know, this is this is a huge, huge figure. 
Um, he says basically the same sort of thing, but in much more genteel fashion. So, you know, Lester Brown uh, supports uh, the anti-immigration green group, uh, Apply the Brakes. Uh, the founder of Earth Day, Wisconsin Senator Gaylord Nelson, uh, believed, now he's dead, but, um, you know, this he was a founder of Earth Day. He believed that uh, if uh, population stabilization is to be achieved, it will require substantial reduction in the immigration rate. Um, you know, with the father of biodiversity, Harvard biologist E.O. Wilson, um, believes uh, that human population growth is more bacterial than primate. And likewise, believe, likewise believes that um, uh, immigration should be curbed to stop U.S. population growth. Um, uh, the, uh, the late Dave Brower, who was the founder of Friends of the Earth, um, you know, uh, was a long-standing member of the Sierra Club um, and left, uh, resigned in 2000. Uh, he said in desperation, uh, what he felt was there sort of dilly-dallying over uh, the, the subject that they should be more upfront with their anti-immigration perspective, saying overpopulation is perhaps the biggest problem facing us and immigration is part of that problem. It has to be addressed. Wow. And you can see this yeah. over and over and over again. It's not a one-off. So, I mean, uh, let me just jump in because I, I imagine, yeah. as with most things, there's a political spectrum within environmentalism and across environmental groups. So, like, the, the groups that you cited, I guess, I mean, some of them are obviously very deep green, like Earth First. Um, but, you know, Friends of the Earth, I think, is more, I would say, leftish. I mean, would you be able to kind of, I guess, plot these on a political spectrum sure. and, and whether these anti-immigration and very obviously neo-Malthusian ideas generally originate from more right-wing or even let's say maybe more bourgeois environmental groups like right. the sierra uh, like the sierra club which is i guess notoriously kind of well-heeled sort of uh, environmentalists i mean exactly. you find yeah so i mean i picked these these three examples because um i wanted to show it was not just uh where you could say oh well you know the sierra club which is very very mainstream as you say it's probably it's i think it's the largest environmental organization in the united states it's 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 thoroughly establishment. Um, you, you, we could. Uh, I don't want us to be able to say oh or dismiss it and saying oh well of course they're very main they're you know they're centrist so of course there's going to be some sort of anti-immigrant you know um, uh, capitulation there in this you know like Joe Biden or something like that or um, that or to dismiss Earth First because oh well those are very extreme that's deep ecology so of course we should be able to dismiss that as well. Um, Friends of the Earth is, you know, center-left to left-wing. Um, what I'm trying to say here is that it, this is something that pops up everywhere. Uh, every different variety of environmentalism, you have this. I mean, I guess you get it probably people who are environmentally inclined. Oh, that's a terrible way to put it. I mean, who could see themselves convinced, con um, you know, convinced, committed environmentalists and who are see themselves as very left-wing, who would try to... Um, reject what you're saying here and going well no but you know these are all kind of exceptions so they're exceptional individuals yeah. who hold uh, kind of eccentric views and and this isn't something which is consistent through the movement or at least try to say well there's still the good part of the movement and i mean i know you're not trying to just taint environmentalism as a whole either um yeah. but, but i guess it'd just be interesting to try to be specific about how widespread it is or you know or maybe preempt any of the kind of rebuttals that people would try to make 
Yeah, I think I no. I mean, I've <clears throat> I would fully endorse the the idea that um, there are people within. In fact, I would even say probably most people uh, these days within um, sort of mainstream environmentalism would reject this. But my question um, is uh, rather, if you are of that perspective, if you disagree with this, then it's incumbent upon you to explain why it does keep coming up. And I think, that, and that's what's interesting, is uh, that um, if we go back to the late 19th century and the, the origins of environmentalism through the uh, interwar years and uh, the founding of the Soil Association in the UK, um, uh, uh, Richard Walter Derry, uh, the agriculture minister and, <clears throat> under Hitler, and his um, his organicist, you know, blood and soil um, uh, philosophy. And we have to be able to explain why this keeps coming up. We can't just say, oh, well, this is um, a, a cuckoo's egg in the nest of environmentalism. We have to say, why? why? And, and, and that's what interests me. I, I would say that there is, there's, a, there's a disconnect. There's a sort of, um, uh, even if you are on the front lines of, um, of, of uh, opposing anti-immigration politics, and you're an environmentalist who is um, in favor of limits to growth, I would argue that there's, um, there's a sort of cognitive dissonance there, that actually the one does naturally lead to the other, and that what we should be doing, and I'll explain why one leads to the other in a, in a second, what we should be doing instead is embracing an environmentalism that is basically socialist or social democratic in perspective, that looks to explain um, environmental uh, challenges in terms of uh, the inherent problems of uh, the market rather than um, uh, explain um, environmental challenges in terms of population growth or overconsumption or um, the, the solutions would be through degrowth. Then that is the reason that we should be looking to. And that sort of explains why this keeps coming up over and over again. Would that, would that really um, carve... Uh, so I suppose, um, well, two thoughts. Would that really make the differentiation that you're looking for? Because I'm sure that um, many of uh, many of the people who would hold these um, right wing views of environmentalism, I'm sure they would probably agree with you about marketization. And it's maybe for the very reason that they do think of themselves as environmentalists, uh, as opposed to crass materialists who are only concerned with um, profit um, and growth as opposed to other kind of uh, more naturalistic connection with nature, with um, forgotten ideas of uh, stewardship, management of oversight of nature and so on. Um, so uh, would, I mean, how would um, a focus on marketization achieve the political differentiation you want? Because I do, I think you'd probably find a lot of the people who's, um, um, who you're concerned about um, about identifying their ideology, they would also fall on the other side of the fence still. Sure. I mean, uh, so uh, one of the, the dangers that we, uh, when, whenever we talk about um, any kind of fascism, is trying to see some internal logic there. And fascism is fundamentally a uh, an eclectic um, philosophy, if you will. It's incoherent. It's regularly incoherent. So, um, uh, I think we would be making a mistake if we say um, uh, trying to um, 
Uh, I I mean, yeah, it's fundamentally irrational. And so it's a mistake to try and kind of um, imagine that there is some kind of underlying coherence to it. I suppose uh, what I'm getting at is the um, that you, you it seems to me. So what you're suggesting here is the pitch you're putting forward is that if we focus on um, the market and it's in the environmental damage caused by a market based um, economy, um, that's a way to kind of focus on a more clearly left-wing environmentalism. But I, um, I'm, I suppose it, I'm still left wondering whether there'll be many people who you would wish to exclude from the tent who will still see them, who will still be drawn to the idea of the problems of a market-based economy and will precisely see the envi- environmentalism as a way of challenging, as a way of challenging capitalism from the right rather than from the left. Right. So, you know, I get what you're saying, uh, but uh, what I was going to say in terms of this incoherence, I, and um, so, you know, Marine Le Pen, um, or, you know, even her father would probably say that they're anti-capitalist. I mean, fascists on, on the regular um, are anti-capitalist. That's not a an uncommon thing. But to them, um, it's it's... I mean, there are many kinds of anti-capitalism. I mean, the Catholic Church is probably anti-capitalist. Mm. Um, uh, anti-Semitism is a you know famously uh, the the anti uh, the, the socialism of fools. Uh, there's many varieties of anti-capitalism. What what marks out um, um, uh, sort of Marxist socialism uh, from these other anti-capitalists is that is amongst many other things is a recognition of the core. Uh, uh, trying to be scientific about it, explore what is capitalism, trying to define it in terms of the commodity form, i.e., you know, the market economy. Um, um, whereas I think the, these, these, these eco-fascists, uh, uh, you know, uh, El Paso, Christchurch, Marilyn Le Pen and, and so on, probably view capitalism as a sort of uh, modernity or um, uh, industrial modernity or growth. Uh, there's a very sort of vague sense of this, the, the, the contemporary situation that they do not like rather than trying to really drill down, well, what is capitalism? And what is it about it that causes the problems? What is it about it that undermines democracy uh, in the workplace and in society at large? What is the commodity? Why all these these sorts of things? Um, And as far as that is concerned, um, they don't look at that. They're not, they're not, and even, I would say even the people who are, um, so Naomi Klein's book, uh, and she's absolutely not an anti, she's not an eco-fascist. But um, and Naomi Klein's book, uh, this changes everything, is supposedly about how capitalism is causing the the climate problem, and I believe that's correct. Uh, but she, at no point, really seems to understand what capitalism is. She still holds on to this idea that capitalism is that is something that just grows infinitely as opposed to something based on the com- commodity form uh the the, uh, the market system um, um so i don't think there's any um any problem there in in saying that uh, but what about uh, you know these people these eco-fascists probably are anti-capitalists i would say yeah they probably are but that's not unusual within any kind of fascism but that doesn't necessarily put them in the same camp as socialists. Yeah, no, I think I think that's fair enough. I mean, I, I was also thinking about this just before we called you up. I mean, that most of the mainstream of environmentalism, I'm taking a kind of 
maybe everyone but the eco-fascists and proper eco-socialists, you know, hold to kind of a, a, a sort of a liberal environmentalism. And it's probably one of yep. the reasons that I'm sort of skeptical of it, because it in some ways represents the worst of both worlds, because it's a sort of um, uh, a, a, a liberalism in decline. So it's still individualist. In most cases, it uh, still looks to the market in some ways to provide solutions or tacitly accepts the market as the, the horizon of all solutions, while at the same time is being quite dismal in not providing a sort of an optimistic liberalism in which there might be more growth, um, an expansion, a kind of a, a kind of a yeah. globalization which might provide for everyone or a harmonization of interests like as under classic liberalism, but it's kind of a, a miserable liberalism where everything is just kind of getting worse, there's less to go around and we just need to shift around, you know, where carbon rights or something like that, for example. And I guess that's the that's what you get. I mean, you either get in terms of varieties of environmentalism the probably the greatest chunk of environmentalism today takes this form of this l- dismal liberalism, I guess. Yeah, um, there's uh, they. If anything, in many respects, uh, there's a sort of to use some some jargon here, but a petty bourgeois outlook in that uh, in the um, the localist uh, smallest beautiful environmentalist perspective that believes that growth is the problem. Um, they're generally not anti-market. Uh, they just don't like big things. They don't like corporations, and they tend to kind of like small businesses. They think that small businesses are and and, and local farmers markets are to be supported. Um, and so there's never any conception uh, of um, of the market itself being 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 the problem, uh, or rarely is does does that that pop up. Uh, what's his name? The um, the head of um, 350.org, the former New Yorker writer, um, he sort of his vision of of a perfectly balanced, environmentally environmentally sustainable economy, is 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 sort of um, uh, just after the American Revolution, sort of Jeffersonian yeoman farmer. Um, it's uh, small shopkeepers. and there there really isn't any. Um, yeah, as I say, there's there's no sort. They're very pro. I wouldn't say very pro market. They don't see markets as the problem per se. They see bigness as the problem. They're opposed to mega projects. They're opposed to large corporations, um, but not small businesses. Um, who you know, small. Um, uh, I would say artisanal mining, for example, that's a small business, and it's some of the most egregious yeah. um, uh, elite, uh, 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 disruptive in terms of big, uh, ecosystems. Big problem in Brazil. It's kind of uh, the, the vanguard of uh, Bolsonaro's approach to the environment in Brazil, basically letting uh, these kind of freelance artisanal miners out into the, out yeah. into the um, you know, like indigenous lands in many cases. Absolutely. Um, I just, so, so, sorry, I just wanted to quickly rewind because I had just one question about the terrorism stuff. Um, before I know George has various questions about uh, wider relevance, which we wanted to move on to. But um, just quickly about the terrorism thing, because I, I want to. I'm wondering how important you think ecological ideas are to white nationalist terrorism today. Because when we talk about uh, Islamist jihadist terrorism today, I personally, my perspective, and it's something that I've mostly stolen from someone like Olivier Roy, who actually you cite in, in the draft piece you sent us, uh, who emphasizes the way that these are often just delinquents who are, you know, often drawn to crime or whatever, and who are 
basically alienated nihilists and who sees on Islamism as a sort of uh, a structuring uh, way of thinking about the world and providing a sort of just cause for them um, to take them out of their sort of delinquent life, which is on the slide. Um, so, you know, you emphasize the, ni- the nihilism, or I would emphasize the nihilism more than the Islam yeah. aspect. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and I wonder whether you do the same with the kind of white nationalist terrorists who have these deep ecological ideas, whether it's the nihilism, which is more fundamental, or whether it's the deep ecologism or the racism, which is more essential, um, if you catch my drift, or if that's not too awkward a way of putting the question. Yeah, no, I think that's absolutely uh, fair. I mean, I, I think this is, all of this is a species of capitalist realism, that in the, in the, in the absence of, of being able to put forward um, uh, 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 coherent, uh, viable response to the malaise of, of, of neoliberalism, of uh, downward mobility amongst the middle class, of precarious work, of um, stagnating wages, of deindustrialization. Um, um, uh, uh, people who are from, yeah, yeah, they'll hang their hat on on whatever it happens to be. I think that Olivier Roy is is absolutely correct that uh, that nihilism is the is is the fundament uh, rather than. Uh, the anti-Islam, and in this case, again, I think it, it, these these figures, um, Patrick Crucius and Breton Tarrant, they fit very much within that um, uh, that that pattern of um, uh, disillusioned, um, downly mobile. Uh, you know, it fits with you know, the incel narrative as well. Fits fits uh, uh, yeah. with the, with with this sort of stuff. Well, I guess the incels um, the incels aren't reproducing, so they're actually being really ecological. <laughs> Um, so my my concern is more um, uh, the broad spectrum of 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 these sorts of politics that you know that that Gramscian line about uh, in the interregnum there is you know the the, um, it, the there will be monsters or however 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 it puts it however it's been translated in multiple different ways that this is just another expression of this and that uh, things like um, El Paso and Christchurch will may continue to happen, but also th- more and more things like Marine Le Pen and Sebastian Kurtz and the Austrian Greens will begin to happen. That this this confluence of a bunch of different baggy ideas will be thrown together. Um, but I did want to sort of, um, I, I do want to, because sometimes I think it's, it's hard to serve for people to uh, come to grips with why would conventional neo-Malthusian environmentalism lead to this? Why does it keep happening? And I do want, and I just want to make it very, very explicit here. Neo-Malthusian limits to growth lifeboat politics inevitably leads to population control. Mm. And once you get to population control, that immediate, that you will immediately uh, at some point have people articulating, therefore we need immigration restrictions. There's a there's a very logical uh, sort of um, uh, line there, and secondly, uh, these calls to traditional ways and local economies that retreat from global supply chains that again that you hear on the regular from all sorts of envir- mainstream environmentalists, a retreat from uh, global supply chains and return to tr- traditional ways matches up and thus from sort of cosmopolitan influence. They're in, ineluctably exclusionary. You, what really is the difference exactly between insisting on uh, on a border at the edge of your bioregion, which is what these mainstream environmentalists want, 
and calling for a harder border at the edge of your nation. I mean, this is this is why it keeps happening over and over and over again. So, um, Leah, I just I guess I had a really interesting discussion so far. I had some some questions maybe on the the wider relevance, which I think um, follows on quite quite well from what you were just saying there. I mean, just maybe to take a um, a step back and <clears throat> think about, I guess you in in the article you you talk about some of these, I guess quite um, shocking examples of of specific individuals engaging in a in kind of eco-fascist um, practice. But is this a is this a um, a problem or a, a stream of thought that's likely to um, grow in prominence? Would you say in the next in the next decade? I mean, organisations like the Optimum Population Trust, of which David Attenborough is a, is a patron. Um, I mean, I guess the the logical endpoint of some of these near Malthusian ideas it is it is quite um, uh, can be taken to quite a brutal place. I guess yes. is is should we predict that this um, that eco fascism is going to be on the rise in in the coming decade? Well, I, I mean, I'm 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 sort of one of these figures who uh, I, I, I don't really believe in making uh, predictions at all about uh, human affairs uh, because human affairs are a fundamentally chaotic system. Um, uh, I think we can, we can see trends, but um, it, if I were to say in the next uh, 10 years, uh, we'll see an increase in, in the growth in this of, of eco-fascist terrorism, I, um, I mean, what does that mean, even mean, a, a growth? I would have to be much more um, um, sort of precise uh, to be able to test whether that hypothesis is true or not. And I don't think we, um, I, I don't think any human is capable of, of, of making that sort of prediction. I don't think that's assist, the human system is, uh, is as predictable as, as a simple physical system. Um, that said, what I would rather be talking about are trends, and I would say that in the in the sort of Gramscian interregnum, the uh, the likelihood of us seeing more and more strange um, ideologies like this is 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 likely. I think that's that's uh, that's uh, that's certainly a, a possibility. That I would not be surprised. I'm sorry, I'm not surprised at the. Um, um, the coalition between the Greens and and Kurtz uh, that doesn't I, I, I yeah it's un, it's unsurprising but to to be able to concretely predict there will be a certain percentage increase in um, fascist terrorism by uh, the end of the decade I I will humbly retreat from making any prediction mm. along those lines yeah I mean we're not asking one... for a specific date on the next terror yeah. eco terrorist <laughs> attack or anything like that um... okay maybe a better way to put it is um, there have been some articles by folks on the green left saying that we should be very wary about, you know, a, a big increase in eco-fascist terrorism. And I would retreat from that. I'm just kind of, I don't know. I mean, I'm one, on the one hand, what I guess what I'm saying is I'm not surprised that this happens given the, um, uh, the, 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 the embedded Malthusianism of conventional environmentalism and the current uh, sort of capitalist realist nihilism and 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 lack of of hope um, that such a strange uh, melange of different ideas as eco-fascism 
would emerge. I'm not surprised about that. I think that's a better way of putting it rather than we should now be on our guard for eco-fascist terrorists. Um, a, a big increase in, in that. Um, yeah, I don't know. If, am I... No, I think that, that no, that I think that makes a lot of sense. I, I, I think one way that I would put it or, or try to think it through is not, you know, thinking that environmentalists will go crazy and start doing terrorism or anything like that, um, or even necessarily that mainstream environmentalism will inspire, uh, you know, white nationalists to become actually also deep green eco-fascists, um, but rather that I guess, especially thinking slightly more banally about you know, governments and coalitions, to take the Austrian example, that certain environmental environmentalist ideas or ecological framings of things might be recuperated by the right. You know, so you have these kind of organic things coming up about, amongst activists, um, putting forward ideas about, you know, limits to growth or whatever. Um, and that, you know, the kind of right-wing parties in casting around for a kind of a new form of legitimation, which is not kind of neoliberal anymore. Um, we discussed on a, on a yeah. recent episode about, uh, you know, actually in recent episodes about, you know, even Boris Johnson kind of shifting away towards a one-nation Toryism or whatever. Um, and, you know, you, I think that's perfectly reasonable to think this is going to happen, you know, that the, that the right certainly in power is looking for new ideas uh, to justify capitalism, you know, or to make capitalism more palatable today. And then it might start to use environmental ideas to do that. And it, that wouldn't be liberatory in any way. It would obviously be, be oppressive. So I guess that's, that's kind of interesting to think through what the, what the possibilities are there. Yeah, I mean, the, the reality is that we do face some very real environmental challenges and uh, uh, politicians on the hard right and far right, uh, electoral uh, politicians, that is, um, um, are not immune to being aware of those uh, the, the, uh, those, those conversations and, and the reality of those challenges. And there's, it, it would, it, it's perfectly rational for them to, as you say, to cast about for some new ideas to put into their... their um, um, their portfolio. But I guess what I would be saying is this is, it's more not casting about for a new idea, but uh, that what seems to be a new idea is actually, they're taking to mix up the metaphors here. Uh, this is one that's readily, readily available to them. It's, it's off the shelf that, that <clears throat> to go back to uh, the far right's um, blood and soil um, um, uh, discourse that uh, back to the land, um, uh, a retreat from modernity, um, it's already been there. So in many respects, um, in a sort of post-neoliberal moment, um, uh, it's not so much casting about for new ideas as a return to uh, ideas that have been there on the far right from its, from its very origins. I, I um so I suppose I wanted to push you a bit further with um the the waves so the wave tag the um the paper or the article um the draft that you sent us is that it's the time as you in your words time to saw off the Malthusian branch from the tree of political ecology <laughs> um and it's a great image uh, but I um I guess. Uh, you know, if the my thought would be, if the tree is organically growing that branch, um, do you want to be by that tree, or do you want to be growing that tree to begin with? Um, I mean, why, why frame, uh, why see political ecology as part of a viable um, socialist project at all? 
Yes, no, fair point. I mean, um, um, and I thought in 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 the last few months, in fact, whether even the, the 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 field of political ecology is even a. I mean, I know some people involved, some some scholars involved, and I think they're excellent and are, have a much better understanding of modernity and the role of technology and industry. And the need for um, um, uh, non-market intervention to enforce um, uh, technology switching and build out of infrastructure, and so there is a. So I don't want to throw them under the bus, um, but you raise a good point in that it might be just too can, uh, too damaged uh, as a as a set of ideas too too captured by uh, the naturalistic fallacy and and Malthusianism. Um, for it to be a viable project. And put it another way, I mean, one of the reasons I don't call myself an eco-socialist or an eco-modernist, and this this is the way a lot of the debate within environmentalism, environmentalism is framed these days between sort of eco-socialists and eco-modernists. That's a very, very live debate uh, online in particular. Um, I don't subscribe to either of those because for me as a socialist, um, it, it's already there. Um, uh, my concern about uh, climate change is not that uh, the earth is is under threat. The earth is n not in any way under threat. It's humans who um, who prefer a very, very rare set of uh, conditions, geologically rare, that have existed for only about 10 to 12,000 years um, that we want to be preserving. There's a particular set of temperatures, there's a particular assemblage of, of, of biodiversity um, that 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 we that we evolved into, that is benefit that is beneficial to us, and that that we have difficulty existing outside of, and we're trying to preserve that. But there's no that's not a natural set of circumstances. That's 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 a um, and so so for me so my um, my concern about climate change or nitrogen pollution or biodiversity loss is is fundamentally a humanist concern. It's a socialist concern. Um, I want to make sure that humans continue to flourish and for our freedom to continue to expand. I don't want any sort of return to um, uh, natural balance. Um, well, this leads. Uh, sorry to sorry sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Uh, but um, well, this this really links to to another question that I was going to ask is, which is essentially what the, I guess what the left response should be to um, eco-fascism or to to some of the more um, anti-humanist strands in some. Um, parts of contemporary environmentalism. I mean, what you said that you wouldn't describe yourself as an eco-socialist. I mean, what's the um, what's what's the way forward here? Is it is it some sort of clean modernism, or what's um, what's the way to frame it? Would you say? I mean, uh, socialist modernity. I think it, it, it's already within there that if we are recognizing that there there is a real issues with environment in terms of environmental challenges. So we need to make sure that those things don't happen, um, um, and fix and fix them. Uh, and, and this is distinct from, I think, some of the more, I mean, I, people like Spiked or um, even some historically, uh, uh, you know, more trade unionist uh, perspectives on environmentalism just rejected environmentalism wholesale, saying, "Well, this is just a petty bourgeois setup." No, I mean, there are real issues, um, uh, but. Uh, the, the the solution is 
um, is is market interve- is is intervention in the market to enforce technology switching, uh, which is the way that most of uh, the historical successes within in, uh, in terms of environmental challenges uh, have, have have occurred. For example, in the 1980s. Um, uh, the ozone layer was was being depleted as a result of our use of chlorofluorocarbons. Um, the solution to that was not the fact that we banned uh, any growth in fridges or hairspray, but that there was a, so it wasn't growth that was the problem. It was the use of CFCs, and there was a readily available alternative that through intervention, non-market intervention, through regulation. Uh, we 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 solved that problem. That that is not a problem anymore. Um, I mean, there are some uh, continued um, um, uh, problems in China where China is sort of breaching the Montreal Montreal Protocol, which bans CFCs. But that's an exception. They're they're actually breaching the. It's it's not something inherent um, to um, um, uh, regulation that would be would be a problem. So I would and that's a that sees. That is a solution. Sees the the the, the amorality of the market, where um, a if something is challenges us environmentally, um, but it continues to be profitable, there will continue to be an incentive for that that commodity to be produced. So there needs to be some non-market a, um, action to prevent that from happening. Um, that, so again, this is a bit of a shaggy dog story, but basically I would say that the solution to um, uh, to, to this this problem is to reassert um, um, uh, socialist modernity as, as the solution to these problems, um, to recognize the market as the, uh, the source of, of our environmental challenges, not to, not to reject um, uh, um, environmental challenges as real, to poo-poo them, say that they don't exist, they do. Um, but to say that the solution to them is 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 non-market approaches. Yeah, I mean, I guess it the encounter that this often ha- that the rather the way that this encounter often happens on the left, as far as I see it, and correct me if if I've mischaracterized this, but it's that you get a kind of more technocratic wing who say that you know we need action on climate change immediately, and the you know kind of more far left critics will retort, no, you know it's working class power first, and then we deal with the environmental issues, you know, you can't short circuit to 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 the environmental questions by yeah. uh, through through technocratic means. And I mean, I would you know try to find a way to say, well, can't we, <laughs> you know, can't we have both? Um, but yeah. I, I I guess I'm personally very typical petty bourgeois compromise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, something like the Green New Deal proposes yes. that basically, right? That you do have technical responses um, about the way that you know, about energy production, for example, uh, about energy transition, which are technical matters, but which are accompanied by uh, at least a more social democratic approach to to the economy, if not necessarily a kind of socialist transformation. But I mean, so, you know, I'm just trying to, I guess, recognizing that there's this tension within left-wing discussions. And I maybe want to ask you, yeah, how do you, what's your proposition and how do you resolve that one? So just before just before Lee answers, I just to add something to the pot. Um, I mean, it occurs to me. I think part of the problem is the other way. It's the other way around. It's a bit like what you were saying about um, Olivier Olivier Ra's uh, theory of jihadism. It's nihilists looking for a hook on which to hang their nihilism, um, and I think that's a lot of the problem with the contemporary left is that they're not actually left wing in the traditional sense yeah. of. Um, uh, desiring 
for humanity to transform itself um, in the process of improving its circumstances and emancipating itself. It's um, cynicism discussed with the contemporary world. And and that's, this is what leads to a... And this is the kind of, I think, what leads them to a particular um, kind of, you know, the, the sympathy with Malthusianism, the unwillingness to purge Malthusianism from their accounts of um, the environment um, and the general outlook. So it's, uh, I think that kind yeah. of, it's the other way around. It's you I mean, know, just that's the way, in, where just, it comes from. Yeah, because I, I sort of, I think that's uncharitable in, in calling it nihilistic. I mean, there's certainly nihilistic strains on the left. There's no doubt about that. But I think more generally, it's more that it, there's a certain... A sort of soft liberal and technocratic approach to things, which wants to limit the worst excesses of capitalism, and so and doesn't see necess- working class power as achievable or is even necessarily on the horizon, and and so you know really just wants government to do some good things to make the world a bit of a nicer place. I think that's, and I don't think that's cynical. Yeah. I don't think that's nihilistic. I think it's just a very limited vision and probably a self defeating one because it, it I think- won't get off the ground. Yeah, I think I think you're right. It's it's technocratic and it's a kind of green supranationalism that seems more likely, which is grounded in a kind of <clears throat> I don't know a lack of faith it in won't be... working class politics, which is which is not which is not nihilistic. It's here's how to lock in some things that we don't want to have um, no, policy discussions is... on. It's not the a green, here's, the... here's a here's Sorry. a system with no I, I, with no moral ideas. But the green supranationalism isn't going to, isn't going to present itself as liberal or technocratic. It will be liberal and technocratic, but it, the green supranationalism will be presented as part of a um, genuinely radical left wing social democratic agenda, because it will be draped in the mantle of the first New Deal. So, I mean, this is my um, uh, this is my cr- critique of um, the Green New Deal. It isn't specifically linked to um, isn't specifically linked to any policy which is packaged up in it, but the way in which it's politically legitimated, I think, is problematic. And um, so it will be technocratic, but it will be technocratic from a left-wing perspective rather than um, cast in kind of liberal terms. And I think that that will leave um, leave you wrong-footed, Alex, because you will have no resource or, or no, no space from which to critique that perspective. Yeah, I th- this is absolutely fa- fascinating. There are um, all sorts of um, uh, contradictions here in a lot of these discussions around the Green New Deal um, and um, and expertise. What is the role of expertise? I mean, okay, I, I would put it. Let me put it another way. So, in my first book, um, Austerity Ecology, one of the chapters uh, in it, which in all of the interviews I've done about the, the book, and, and not a single not a single person has alighted on this particular chapter. And this particular, it's called, uh, I call it, the chapter was called uh, The Dictatorship of the Expertariat. And it was a critique of the tendency on the green left to embrace um, technocratic solutionism. Uh, that the, uh, the IPCC, the sorry, Intergovernmental Panel on China, Climate Change, slash the UN uh, Framework Convention on Climate Change sort of structure. Um, uh, is being embraced in many, many other uh, formats uh, dealing with uh, environmental issues. So nitrogen pollution, there is an, an effort amongst nitrogen experts to construct a sort of global entity 
that uh, marries together um, uh, the expertise, the, the, the research expertise of the IPCC and the uh, technocratic uh, in intergovernmentalist decision-making of the UNFCCC in a single body. And you could go uh, uh, about and look at uh, the uh, Convention on Biodiversity, uh, there are a range of different other issues uh, using um, sort of EU-style um, uh, hollowing out of democracy and um, insulation of decision-makers from democratic accountability um, as, as this new model, that people are too stupid uh, to, um, to vote, for, vote the correct way, that what we need is some sort of um, world expertise. Now, so, so I, I'm very, very critical of that for the same reasons that I'm critical of the European Union um, uh, outside of environmental questions. Um, and the same reason that I was historically critical of the World Trade Organization and the IMF and the World Bank and um, uh, the same reasons that the global justice movement at the turn of the millennium was critical of um, uh, decision making uh, by uh, sort of closed door trade panels that could overrule uh, domestic uh, legislation. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that I disagree with internationalism or even international government, but it has to be genuinely democratic. Um, I'm one of these strange individuals where I support Brexit because the EU is undemocratic, but simultaneously, I actually totally support, in principle, the idea of the United States of Europe, if it were democratic. And I, so I think that there's, there is, and you, uh, George, uh, you might disagree with this um, in terms of a, a sort of a critique of all forms of supranationalism. But I think that there's two different kinds of supranationalism, one that is technocratic and that should be opposed and one that is genuinely internationalist. Now, how does the thing is, how do you have that um, genuine internationalism that isn't technocratic? Well, I think you have to do, it, play the long game and you have to win the majority of people in the world to that position. Um, that's, that's a, and, and uh, that it has to come from them themselves. It has to be organically a thing that ordinary people say, I think this is what we need, not, impo not imposed from the top down. And I think that's yeah. one of the problems that we have with the Green New Deal in many respects, how it's, 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 um, it's been rolled out. I still think that the Green New Deal as a, as a policy framework is excellent in that it is a, an economic stimulus package that responds to the, uh, the general um, economic malaise and stagnation of uh, Western economies, and you just happen to do that through a massive infrastructure, green infrastructure building program. Um, but the thing is that the way that it's been uh, described and rolled out by people like, um, well, the 600 environmental NGOs in the U.S. who issued a, a call for a Green New Deal, or Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, um, or, um, frankly, a lot of the grassroots groups, well, grassroots, they are um, professional uh, managerial class um, groups uh, that are putting together the idea of a Green New Deal. In the United States, where is the strongest, some of the strongest pushback for a Green New Deal as these people have, uh, have, uh, have, have constructed it, which is a very much a, a sort of charity, uh, viewing the working class as a charity case rather than as, as an entity uh, that um, of which they are part, uh, fighting for its own liberation, um, 
they uh, they're the biggest pushback has come from uh, private sector trade unions, building trades, iron workers, steel workers, um, uh, who are saying we like in their letters to Alexandria Ocasio Cortez. In their letters to these these environmental groups, they're saying, "Look, we actually totally like the idea of a green new deal. I think it's a fantastic framework. We want reindustrialization. We want to return to good jobs, um, and we want to protect uh, the good jobs where people do have good jobs, pipe fitters or whoever. But you don't know what you're talking about, and um, uh, your uh, your emphasis on wind and solar is not going to work and we are actually the people who work in the front lines of um the energy systems and we know what will work and don't work and you haven't even come and spoken to one mm. of us um they're furious yeah uh, not the idea of a green new deal but that the green new deal is technocratic and so there's there is a there's a genuine working class uh, green new deal or in the uk a green industrial revolution and i think this you know the some of the cover like why did corbyn lose and a lot of it come and, and lose all of, uh, you know, what was it, 52 out of 54 um, historic working class uh, 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 strongholds, um, because not that people weren't opposed to uh, John McDonald's ideas about reindustrialization and investment in the region, um, but it, it was, these were sort of charity cases of feeling sorry yeah. for these people, and, and, and to, rather than going into those communities and saying, right, so... There are some, there are some experts here. Let's work with the so an anti-technocratic perspective is not anti-expertise. It's just saying non-rule by experts, yeah. use yeah. using experts well alongside trade unions and working class communities for themselves to come up with the best solutions, and trust in the fact that working class communities have such an amazing body of knowledge that they themselves can come up with what are are are, are some of the best solutions. That's so, so yeah. There's a lack so, of there's. I think yeah. probably a, a lack of trust <laughs> in the working there class is. to be able to do that. To take, I mean, even just from a you know, will workers take over a factory and because they know how to run it? And you know, I mean, that seems to be a, a fairly basic notion of socialism, which many of I guess the socialists uh, propounding some of the you know Green New Deal stuff would be maybe a little bit reluctant on because it's. Uh, I don't know. I, I this this is what it seems to me yeah. to be the case, so, and I guess the worry is that. You know, I like the Green New Deal. I mean, Phil dislikes it because it's, it has the word New Deal in it. And I think if it weren't called that, he'd be fine with it. I don't know. Um, we, Phil and I have <laughs> disagreed on this quite a lot recently. But I guess the, the point being that, you know, I'm with you, Lee, in, in seeing quite a lot of good stuff in the Green New Deal at a policy level. Um, but you can imagine when it comes to be implemented, its technocratic wing will end up overtaking its kind of more radical elements. Um, or it would even be a way of neutering any kind of more socialist or radical social democratic tendencies in a Bernie presidency, for example, uh, should that come to happen, uh, one way of neutering it would be to limit it to a sort of, you know, technocratic green approach. Yeah, the, uh, I mean, I would even go so far as to say that a lot of the advocates of the Green New Deal in the United States around in the, the Democratic Socialists of America, um, uh, who've written in Jacobin magazine and and dissent and and so on and so forth. You know, formally they will probably tell you and probably believe th themselves when they say this that they do believe in workers' control. But then when you look at it, when uh, they roll out, uh, well, in the concrete in the real world right now, what what do we propose in terms of a green new deal? And then working class people and their representatives in trade unions push back and say, well, hold on a sec. Why aren't you coming and speaking to us and asking about what we think? Um, 
the immediate response from these people who say that they favor workers' control dismiss these trade unions. And, and what is the language that they use? They say, oh, well, they're private sector unions. They're the building trades. Of course, they're conservative. They're, they're just bought off by the bosses. Wow. My God, the, yeah. the private sector trade union, that's the majority of working people in the United yeah. Most people don't work in the private in the public sector. Most people do work in the in the private sector. If you're writing off like the majority of the working class uh, because they happen to work in the private sector, uh, come on, do you really believe in workers' control? That, that this is a whole other discussion, but something that we've discussed on the podcast before, and no doubt we'll discuss more in the future. This idea of kind of sectioning off the working class and finding the good workers who might be, you know, public sector or you know, per- yeah. specifically aligned with the ideas that you hold, uh, and rejecting the rest of it, and then and you end up with a, effectively a minority, obviously. Um, so it, it's obviously a very defeatist approach. Um, Maybe we should uh, maybe we should schedule to discuss this in more depth another time because it would be good to go more uh, deep into the Green New Deal another at another point in time, especially um, you know seeing how the democratic nomination process ends up going and the primaries go. But um, definitely one to uh, to put a pin in and to to return to very soon. Sure, but if I can just say one one yeah. last thing in that uh, at the end of the day, uh, the 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 reason why. Um, this is the sort of thing that uh, is is emerging. Uh, this technocratic environmentalism in term, in the form of the Green New Deal. It's because the left at the moment is is not based in the working class. It's based in the let's call you know the professional managerial class, and I'm I'm part of that. Um, uh, there is a uh, while historically, I wouldn't say that the the word left and and or the term left and the term working class were complete synonyms, there was significant overlap between them that they almost were synonymous. There certainly were working class Tories and there certainly were petty bourgeois and bourgeois uh, socialists. But on the whole, you didn't really, they, you, these were interchangeable terms. Today, they're not. There is the working class over here and then there's the left over there. Um, and that doesn't just throw up um, bad ideas in terms of how to solve environmental issues. This is also the reason why um, identity politics dominates as a solution to uh, um, uh, racism and homophobia and sexism instead of universalist socialism. It's also why um, postmodernist ideas um, and uh, sort of noble savage ideas about how to resolve uh, indigenous struggles um, uh, dominate. It's it's a all of these different um, issues far beyond just environmental challenges are a product of exactly the same phenomenon, which is that this breach between the left and the working class. And the only uh, resolution to these at the end of the day, I think, is a, is a reconstitution of a working class left. That is, it has to come from the working class itself. There's certainly a role for leadership. Uh, uh, never, I'm, I'm not, a, not an anarchist. I do think there's a role for, for, for people with, with ideas to, to, to try to promote those ideas. But at the end of the day, I don't think there's going to be any breakthrough, whether we're talking about um, environmental challenges or um, any, any of these other issues, uh, until the working class begins to move for itself. Uh, here, here. I think we'd all endorse that very strongly. Uh, Lee, I think we'll have to leave it here for now, but again, to be taken up uh, at a future date pretty soon. Thanks again so much for coming on. It was great to, no great to chat to you, as always. Well, take care.